Welcome to Common Thread. We hope you find these lessons helpful, but also we'd like to get to know you. If you go to our website slash newcomer, we'll send you an email, some things to read about the community, and an invitation to a personal chat. If you're here in Raleigh, maybe face-to-face. If not, on Zoom. We hope you will. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. Okay, here's the lesson. Compassion, when the more common thing would have been to receive rejection or criticism. Now, you only get, I'm just going to, this is what are you thinking? Uh, You notice it moved early? Um, You only get a few sentences because here's the thing, the folks online can't hear you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to repeat back a quick synopsis of your story so that they can hear. So tell me about a time you have received compassion instead of the more common response, rejection or criticism. Tell me about it. First of all, your name real loud. Mike. Mike. Say hi, Mike. Mike. All right. Um, I rear-ended somebody on the street once. Uh Uh-huh. (laughs) (laughs) So if you didn't hear online, that's a good one. I rear-ended somebody on the street one time, and they just laughed at me. (laughs) That's a good one. Another one? Right. Oh, oh, oh. what a <laughs> wonderful spouse. All right, you, you couldn't hear online. I say something biting or I say something harsh to my spouse and my, my spouse responds with kindness and with affection. Yeah, that's a big one. Look at you. What a good spouse. Uh, what's your name? Evan. Evan E or K? E. Say hello, Evan. That's a great one. Uh, came out as trans, uh, family that had a religious background for whom this was very difficult, uh, had a hard response, but then eventually came around to kindness and acceptance and affection. Good deal. Excellent. Uh, I saw one over here. Is that right? Nope. All right. So <clears throat> here's the thing. Um, when we think about receiving compassion when the more common response would have been criticism or rejection. If you've experienced that, it can be quite profound, it can be quite powerful. Well, we're to the practical part of this lesson, making space for the other. Last time we said one of the ways that we can make space for the other is really simple, we just talk about the weather. Talking about the weather with the other is not that hard to do, but we make it very difficult to do because of the interior resistance that we face even having conversations with the other. Because we've all gotten the memo that the other is the great Satan. So if we were to talk about something simple like the new taco shop that just opened up on the corner and we were to have that very simple social interaction with the other, our tribe would tell us that we are somehow being complicit in their great Satan ways. Consequently, we increasingly only have social discourse kinds of conversations with our own tribe. Now, 
90-some percent of us all say that our biggest problem in, the biggest problem in our nation is the division between us. But we don't do the simplest of things to begin to break that cycle up. And I suggested last week we might be the ones to initiate the process. If you missed last week the practical what could we do part of the lesson, you can uh, have a listen online. Today is another something we can do lesson how we can practice compassion, and in so doing, create space for the other. Now, compassion is a little bit harder than talking about the weather, but it is one of the most basic parts of the spiritual life. It's hard, but it's not that hard. Listen to Paul speaking to a group on a spiritual journey, like we are on a spiritual journey. He said it this way. He starts the chapter saying, If you are serious about this spiritual life, And then down to verse 12, he says, get dressed for it. Get dressed in the wardrobe of God. Get dressed in compassion and kindness and humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered. When appropriate, be content with second place. Be quick to forgive an offense, and regardless of whatever else you put on, put on love. It is your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Now again, that's basic stuff. That's about as basic as spiritual life stuff gets. Compassion, kindness, virtue, character. But even the basics are very difficult to hold to when we are blasted all day with how outrageous the other really is. Makes it very hard to hold on to compassion. Here's an ancient proverb. A gentle answer, a compassionate answer, turns away wrath, diffuses it. It makes it possible for our un-threat response selves to show up. But a harsh answer, on the other hand, just perpetuates the cycle. It perpetuates more wrath. It perpetuates more threat response. It perpetuates more division. So again, about as basic as the spiritual life gets, be kind, be compassionate, return a harsh response with gentleness. Now, it's basically a construct that says live bigger than the constantly triggered life. Find a way forward. By the way, work in the circle, doing the practices is how we get there. Find a way to not get caught up in the outrage cycle that's going on all around us. Find a way to not be captured by the great Satan narrative. Basic, doable. Today I'm going to tell you about two TED Talks. I hope you will go watch both of them. This is the first, Betty Hart, How Compassion Could Save Your Strained Relationships. She tells a story about her loving relationship with her father, fractured by ideological differences not talked to for 10 years, kind of fractured. She's ideologically on one side, her father's on the other. She used a familiar term around these days, cancel culture. She had canceled, she said, her father. Uh, It's become common that a person we disagree with can very quickly, relatively easily, be excised from our lives, done, not part of our world anymore. That's very easy to do now. Even personal relationships. 
People with history, people with, who love us, people that we love. Done. Not part of our world anymore. Now, there are two important premises that we have to buy in order to participate in that done culture. The first is, we've got to believe that we are 100% right. We have to believe that there is no possibility that we are wrong. We have got to believe that we have the full picture, the whole picture. We have complete understanding of every salient part of what's going on in this situation. That's the first thing. We've got to believe we're 100% right. Second, we've got to believe that the other is unable to ever change. Now, here's the thing. You and I have been ideologically indoctrinated by just living in this society for a long, long time. We've had a steady diet fed us of straw man arguments. I don't know if you ever took debate when you were young, but a straw man argument is basically you take the weakest case for your opponent, and then you attack that weak case. And if you do that, if you take the weakest case that they've got, and then you go after it, you can win and feel good about yourself. (laughs) Consequently, a lot of us, having been fed a steady diet of straw man arguments, we really believe that we are. 100% right, and that they are 100% wrong. But here's the thing about human beings, we are complex. And also, right now, we are inflamed. Consequently, those are a couple of very dubious propositions, that we are 100% right, and that they can never change. How many times have you realized, oh, you know what, I thought I was right, and I wasn't, the, it makes it kind of silly to believe that the other could never go through that same process, that that could never be true of the other. But when we excise people from our lives, done, we create the conditions that enforce and reinforce those two dubious propositions. What we do when we done, excised from our lives, is we make those propositions true. It's not that they are true, but when we participate in done, not part of my world anymore, we make them true. They become true. Now the brilliance of the ancient wisdom tradition was to understand this and prescribe a pathway forward to avoid this pitfall. Clothe ourselves in compassion return wrath with respect, do that, and we start building on better propositions. Like, we can learn here. There's something for us that we didn't know here. We can see more than what we thought was our narrowed 100% truth. Clothe ourselves in compassion, return wrath with respect, And we make it possible that our own human capacity for learning and for changing can be awakened. And we invite that same capacity for understanding and changing in the other. But when someone in our minds is the great Satan, when someone is in our minds 100% wrong, When someone in our minds is incapable of change, we then make those two dubious propositions our reality. Excise the other from our lives? Maybe not the best strategy.
for repairing our worlds. Compassion may be better. So she finished her story. After 10 years of not talking to dad, called him. Said, I, you know, I bet there are things that you'd go back and change if you could. I know that there are things I would go back and change. Uh, shall we start again? And he said, I would love to do that because I love you. So a few years later, he died. And between the time that they restored their relationship and the time that he died, he never changed his mind on his ideology. Their relationship was stored, and he never changed his mind. Now, for a lot of folks, that is not a great ending for this story. <laughs> for a lot of folks, if practicing compassion doesn't work, if practicing compassion doesn't change the other person's mind, well, then why bother? Uh, your family member might never change their mind. Your coworker, your neighbor, your friend might never change their mind. But here's the thing. That's a maybe. Maybe they will never change their mind. But the alternative is pretty much a sure thing. If we don't practice compassion, if we don't practice returning a gentle answer to wrath, we can be pretty much guaranteed change will not happen. If we don't practice constructive engagement, if we don't practice curiosity, if we don't practice empathy, we can be sure change will not happen. So in uh, 2016, I was excommunicated from a denomination that I'd been part of for 20 years. I'd written a book, Rethinking the Christian Narrative. They did not like it, not one little bit, and they kicked me out. As a result, our congregation lost our building up on Ray Road. By the way, not the point of the lesson, but the Tuesday meeting that I thought was going to be definitive that would help us know whether we we're going to have a place, uh, it wasn't bad news. They didn't say no, but they also didn't say yes. They're just, God, churches move slowly. <laughs> they move very, very slowly. So we're still in kind of a you know, landing pattern. So anyway, I went to my heresy trial meetings and... Uh, <laughs> And these meetings were not really listen-to meetings. They were more talk-at meetings. Had there been more listening, I suspect we wouldn't be scrambling for a place to be meeting right now. <laughs> now, at that time that that was going on in my life, uh, I was also reading a whole series of articles that were coming out. They eventually became a book. The book was called Rising Out of Hatred about Derek Black. He was a young kid, 19 years old, who grew up as the heir apparent to his father's neo-Nazi group called Stormfront. And he'd gone through a very interesting process. You should get the book. He ended up disavowing white supremacy. Really, you should get the book. But what stood out to me was that this kid at 19 years old, he must have been a bright kid, uh, he'd run for county commissioner in Palm Beach, and his strategy was this. Take the main points of white supremacy, tidy them up so that they don't sound so rude. Tidy them up so that they don't sound so mean. Tidy them up so that they don't sound so racist. Then make those points the campaign. And he did, and he won. So I'm reading these articles. I've listened to a few interviews. Later they became the book. So I knew these tidied up talking points that came from white supremacy. 
And I thought, ah, it's an anomaly. He only got 167 votes. That's not that very many people. Now, only 287 voted, but so he won. But uh, <coughs> about that time, at the same time I was getting booted from the denomination, those same talking points that I'd read in the articles began to show up. Right out of Derek Black's campaign, they began to show up in presidential speeches. Anyone who had read the articles or heard the interviews could not miss the connection. They were verbatim. So, hold both of those things in your mind. Kicked out of the denomination, losing our building, Derek Black's talking points showing up in presidential speeches. So for a long time in my life, probably between 2016, 2017, my internal script was not compassion little bit pissed off. <laughs> now, I had worked really hard to document that book. I had meticulously researched theology, I had researched history, I had researched scripture, and I had footnoted the whole thing because I knew this was going to be hard for people. But I wanted them to understand this is our story, this is our heritage, this is where we come from. We've deviated from our story and we don't need to because it's kind of killing us. And I was right. Probably 100%. <laughs> <laughs> but then I got to my heresy trial and two of the three judges hadn't even read the damn book <laughs> so my brain starts on a story maybe you can understand why stupid Christians they won't listen stupid Christians they won't change 100% right they won't change recognize the pattern <laughs> now again at the same time Lots of voters are buying this tidied up white nationalist shit. And I am reading these talking points and I know where they came from. So I am right. Probably 100%. <laughs> Stupid voters, they won't listen. Stupid voters, they won't change. Now, I am really not proud of this, <clears throat> but I held on to that script for a good long time, at least. 18 months. Now even <laughs> I was working the practices, I was doing the stuff, but I was in that moment for a long time. I'm 100% right and they will never change. So <laughs> done. Excised from my world. And actually there's some family members I didn't talk to for that amount of time. Now we know, don't we? We've heard it a lot of times. It is our way to lose our way, but it's also our way to find our way when we've lost it. And I did that. I did the interior work. I kept doing the practices. And over time, the, the practices did help me re-find compassion in my heart, help me re-find the gentle answer that turns away wrath. And it turns out I did begin to see a bigger picture. Ah, maybe not 100% right. Ah, maybe my story has just focused on one little part and maybe has missed the broader truth of what's going on. Maybe there's more going on here that I was allowing myself to see. Maybe not, stupid Christians. Maybe not, stupid voters. Maybe there's more to the story than I had zeroed in on. That took a while. It took 18 months. But it is our way to find our way when we lose it. By the way, John, I love the Mohawk. <laughs> you might have heard of Professor Loretta Ross from Smith College, uh, another one of the TED Talks I hope you listened to. 
this TED Talk kind of made the rounds uh, a couple of years ago. She talks about the difference between calling in culture and calling out culture. You really should have a listen. So <clears throat> there is a way out of our cycle of outrage, she says. Instead of calling people out, we can call people in. When we call out, which is a synonym for canceling, somebody says or does something that we think is wrong and we think they should be punished, so we decide we will punish them and we usually do it with words and the words are usually racist or sexist or toxic or manipulative or something like that. But, she says, when we do that, all we have done is invite the other to a fight. <laughs> That's all we've done. We have not invited the other to have a conversation. Public humiliation, we think when we are doing it, is speaking truth to power. Isn't that a nice story? Don't we love the idea that we would be speaking truth to power? We think that we are holding powerful people accountable, and we think that that's an important thing to do, and the thing is, it is. It really is important when it's time to speak truth to power, but is that what we're really doing? Yeah, maybe no. More likely, we're acting on some interior driver. And more likely, if we've been doing the self-awareness process, we know what that driver would be. It's something related to fear or something related to belonging, something about signaling to our own tribe that we are really in the crowd, that we really belong here. Maybe we're putting someone else down because we feel bad and it would help us feel elevated. Whatever we're doing, we're not aware that we're doing it. We're not, it's not the story we're telling ourselves that that's what we're doing. But it kind of is. And the antidote to division, she says, the antidote to being on this outrage treadmill is to not do that, but instead to call others in. Put on the garment of compassion. Put on the garment of love. Calling out starts with those two assumptions. I'm 100% right, and they will never change. But calling in starts with different assumptions. Incremental change can happen. In the course of human interaction, people do rub off on one another. And that incremental change could happen in them. That incremental change could also happen in me. I may also see a bigger picture. I may also see a broader picture, get a broader understanding. Calling in, she says, makes change possible. Having a private conversation instead of a public reprimand. Having respect instead of contempt. Taking a breath instead of reacting. Listening well. Now I heard you say this. Uh, is that accurate? Yes it is. Could you tell me more about that? Right now, there are things that we can't really talk about. We can't in our society talk across the divide about critical race theory. Just look around how well that's going. We can't talk about books in school libraries these days. We can't talk about abortion. We can't really talk about immigration. We can talk at each other about those things, but we can't really have conversations about them. But, as we've seen so many times, big changes actually take place as a series of very tiny changes. So we start talking about the weather. I took my grandkids to the park early Monday morning. And it was uh, right after the, it was before the heat picked up and there was a running club meeting in the shelter there at the park and they were finishing up their run and there were old folks and there were young folks and there were white folks and there were black and brown folks. And I couldn't tell for sure, but I suspect that there were blue folks and red folks. 
So gardening clubs and knitting clubs and running clubs and PTA clubs, the reason that these shared spaces are so powerful is they knit us together in our humanity and they sidestep our ideology. People think that social change happens my way. People think social change happens my team's way. But people are different. Human beings think differently. Call someone out and we deny that basic reality that we are different. You, you remember the book I mentioned a long time ago, The Righteous Mind, that says the conservative people uh, draw heavily from these three moral foundations. Liberal people tend to draw heavily from these two moral foundations. And when we talk about the moral foundations, we can really agree. When we talk about what we build on that, we can't agree. People think differently. They prioritize differently. They're wired differently. Call someone out, and we deny that, and we work against that. But call someone in, and we make it possible to begin to work together, to converse together. The one starts with love. The other starts with something that is not love. Now, this is important. We do not agree with someone when we call them in. The two are not the same. We don't agree with someone when we extend compassion. What we do is admit that the person that we are inviting in is a human being and as such is worthy of respect. They are human beings and I should treat them the way that I would want to be treated. All we are doing is we are admitting we may not be 100% right. We're not agreeing, we're just admitting we may not be 100% right. We may not have the full picture and they might be able to change. Calling in starts with the proposition that everyone deserves to be respected. And being people on the spiritual journey is kind of our thing, kind of bedrock, kind of basic. So this is the reason that we do self-reflection. This is the reason that we do self-examination. This is the reason that we work the circle and do the practices and make the announcement, invite each other to do them together so that we can be able to lead with love so that we can become able to move beyond our anger, move beyond our limited narratives, move beyond those stuck points that we get in because we participate in this outrage industry that's going on in our society, move beyond our limiting stories and grow into compassion and grow into gentleness because if anything is going to change the world, it isn't going to be outrage. It's going to be compassion. Now, if we do that, do the practices, do the interior character development, do all that stuff, and if we do then start leading with love, and if we do call in instead of out, then, and this is important, then there is actually another step we can take. What she called that step is calling on. Calling in, calling out, calling on. She told a story about her Uncle Frank and a family reunion where he starts talking uh, negatively about Mexican people, about them stealing all the good jobs and such. At that point, everybody had been chatting happily away, uh, and then once he started making some of this, uh, these harsh remarks, using this harsh language, everybody got very quiet and began to look down at their plates. 
because this is Uncle Frank and this is what Uncle Frank does. But she decided to practice calling on. Uncle Frank, she said, I know you and I love you and I respect you. And I know that you would run into a building to save somebody. And I know that you wouldn't care what race that person is. And you wouldn't care whether they were gay or whether they were an immigrant. So help me. Help me reconcile that, Uncle Frank, with the things that you just said. Now here's what that's not. That's not calling out. That's not shaming. That's not attacking. Here's also what that requires. That requires some prerequisite work. That requires a foundation of many previous times of calling in. Many previous times exercising compassion, extending compassion, returning wrath with a gentle answer. Calling on invites the other to rethink old habits, invites the other to rethink old patterns. Calling on makes defensiveness a less likely proposition. It isn't an attack. It is founded on compassion and humility. And it does start with the assumption, I might not be 100% right. It does assume they might be capable of change. Now, by the way, that's a skill set. When, when you get invited in the fall, you're going to start to hear on club day, invitations to the self-awareness groups. Invitation, then after you've done the self-awareness group, you've done the prerequisite, now you can do the conflict resolution group that's going to start in January. All of those things that we participate in are skill sets to be able to do calling on, to do what she did with Uncle Frank. It's a skill that is rooted in compassion. So we've got to start at the starting place. The starting place is developing the interior virtue born of the interior light of compassion. Do that and we become able to do things that we cannot do when we don't. We can move beyond all this fighting. We can move beyond all this arguing. We can move beyond this stony silence that we extend to the other if we build on compassion. It's possible to engage the other. It's impossible to invite one another into forgiveness and into community, into growth. And by extending that invitation to someone else, we actually are inviting ourselves into the same. So we started with that question, have you received compassion instead of rejection or criticism? And I suspect for a lot of us, we could not think of a story. Because that's not been a social norm in our society for a good long time. But again, we are spiritual people. We're on a spiritual journey. So even if you have not received compassion extended to you, but have only received the rejection and only received the criticism, you and I, by being on this journey, we can be the ones who start the cycle. Repairing our world by extending compassion, developing the skills, developing the know-how. How do you step into this environment? So one of the things you're going to hear in the fall is, to, is the invitation to participate in Braver Angels. That's concertedly saying, let's go into that space, leading with compassion, and see if we can begin to repair this foundation that's eroding in our society. And so in Dwelling Divine, 
agents of change in our world. That's our prayer. Agents of change in our world. May it be so. Amen. Oh yeah, that was supposed to go up a while ago. So uh, if you would, please prepare your offerings. We all give online now. Uh, Go to your phone, go to our website. The donate button is at the top of the page. Lots of options, lots of ways to give, about as easy as it can be. So if you're here in Raleigh, if you're joining us from far away, we invite you to take an ownership stake in the community. And remember, as we say all the time, there is good return when we invest in spiritual community because we give our time and we give our energy and we give our love and we give our dollars. And then the community takes those resources, amplifies them, and gives them back to us in the form of the environment in which human beings thrive, flourish, and grow. So, like I said, it's as uh, easy as can be. If you go to our website, top of the page, um, lots of ways to give. In a minute, we're going to uh, dismiss the folks on the live stream. Uh, We're going to do, what are you thinking here? Today, I'm just going to open the floor. I'd really like to hear what you're thinking. And uh, we invite you uh, to do the same. Uh, Scott's going out to uh, outside right now to open up the Zoom. And the link is on the front page of our website. And if you've hung in this long, we're just going to tell you the password. It is 1417. Uh, 1417. Don't be a troll. 1417. It's a great way to connect. It's a great way to think more deeply about the lesson, but also your life within the context of building a network of community. Uh, Go to the, uh, we hope you'll join in. What are you thinking? All right, let's dismiss the folks online. If you would, please put your hand on your heart and let's remember as we go that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness are within us because we carry the light of God within. And if you would, extend your other hand to our city. Let's look for opportunities to share what's already in us with the people that we live and work and go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all. You are dismissed. Please go join the What Are You Thinking? You all are not dismissed. We'd love to connect with you in real life. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. And if you'd like to take an ownership stake in the well-being of the community, we all contribute online. You'll find a donate button at the top of our website. See you next time. We'd love to connect with you in real life. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. And if you